Today's sponsor is NetSuite. Since the beginning, NetSuite's focus has always been around enabling businesses to reach their goals by supporting the entire operation. NetSuite manages all of the key business processes across finance, accounting, commerce, inventory, and more in a single system available at your fingertips in real time. Now on to today's episode. Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host and Glossy Managing Editor, Hilary Milnes, and joining me today is Good American co-founder, Emma Greed. Thanks for joining us, Emma. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how Good American got started? There was obviously a ton of press around it because Khloe Kardashian is involved in the brand, but where did where did you come in with the, the involvement with the brand? How did it come to be? What's your background? Great set of questions <laughs> right there. So um, Good American, so I founded the brand in October 2016, and you're right, it came with a ton of uh, press attention. Chloe is my business partner. Um, and really the idea came about, I mean, first of all, I should say what Good American is. You know, uh, we launched as a denim-only brand, and we've since expanded into quite a few other categories in, in the apparel arena. And essentially what the brand is all about is... Uh, I guess really inspiring confidence. That's what we aim to do. Um, so the ethos of the brand is really about inspiring confidence in women, and really, you know, what we what we're all about is women making the very, very best of themselves of the body that they've already got, um, and we do that by creating really beautifully fitted clothes that come in a wide range of sizes. But the most important part is that we do that um, essentially without ever, um, you know without ever kind of taking a seat back on design or prioritizing inclusivity over design. So it's all about fit and design first. And, you know, we launched the brand with a real kind of a set of principles that we try to do absolutely everything by. So I think the first thing that we do is that we always listen to customers. We're constantly updating our designs and updating what we do and listening to customer feedback. And I think that's really important because the women's apparel arena is really notorious from, you know, just doing something and sticking to it and we're very different from that we listen to what everybody says and we're constantly tweaking and adjusting um from the sense of you know how our business really acts it's all about inclusivity so mm -hmm. that means you know that we only ever work with wholesale partners that are willing to take the entire size range and that was very very difficult in the beginning and remains very difficult today because the you know the apparel industry is one that's very very antiquated and you know there's always been this huge separation between regular sizes and then you know what they call plus sizes and good american right from the beginning kind of rewrote the rules on sizing we were like we're going to do it our way and that has been you know that's been really difficult and it's presented quite a few challenges in the business that we decided to do things that way um, and also you know we launched the business with just you know a very small assortment we have a premium denim product that's you know very special and it's design um, and I think that you know the reason that people you know it wasn't about 
just the products the reason they came to us you know we launched the company with a manifesto and it didn't say anything about what the product was or what the name of the brand was it was really just about this is how we feel we're seeing this huge shift in popular culture in in terms of what the body ideal is becoming and we're not really seeing that uh, being replicated in the fashion industry so if you feel the same way we do and if you think this is kind of ridiculous then come and join us Mm -hmm. and that was really it was more of like a rallying cry and what was interesting is that we had such a you know we really struck a chord with people right away they were like this is exactly how I feel and this brand's talking about what I feel already and it made you know there was just so much interest in the beginning Mm -hmm. and I think you know Chloe is a an incredible business partner an incredibly important part of the brand but you know we make a premium product and so her fan base will definitely come and they'll buy once but they won't buy time and time again and they certainly aren't just buying the product because Chloe's associated with it because if you're spending you know $170 on a pair of jeans it's got to it's got to do what it says on the tin and I think we make a really superior product that works for a lot of different body types Mm -hmm. and so you're basically in the business of creating a product that speaks to people. Customers today want to be spoken to so directly right now to get their attention, to cut through the noise, and to just feel like they're buying into something that they want to be a part of rather than just, okay, I'm going to be totally detached from the brands that I'm buying. So how do you talk to the customers then? How do you get their attention through outreach? How do you keep them involved? Uh, What's that strategy like? Because it's such an important part of the business probably second to the product itself. Yeah, I mean, it's hugely important. We think that the product is the most important thing. If you don't have a fantastic product, you don't have anything. So we spend a huge amount of our energy actually perfecting the product. But that always involves the customers. And I think that's the really important part. We do a ton of, I think what would have been called back in the day, like focus groups, but we're really going out on Instagram and we're inviting customers into the office and saying, come on in, tell us what you think, try on the product, test this new product with us. And that's been huge advantageous for us because we're in a time where everybody's talking about AI and machine learning and testing products and scanning sizes and we're almost the antithesis of that we're saying actually what we care most about is how a woman feels and there's no amount of nuance in a set of questioning unless it's woman to woman, girl to girl, that you can really understand how somebody feels. And Mm -hmm. so what we do is actually physically get people in the office, sometimes in, you know, small groups, like three or four women, but oftentimes very large groups will have 60 people come in, they try on the product, they put on our new innovation. And then you've got social. So social media is how we're able to talk to much broader groups of people. And it can be something really simple, like what color hardware do you want to see next season and we're thinking it's got to be gold and they're like rose gold which we would have never thought about had that Mm -hmm. not come from customers Um, and so you do get you know like nuggets of information that are you know really like interesting just from a design perspective um but we're also constantly looking at the data right we're predominantly a direct-to-consumer company so we're fortunate enough that we sit on a ton of data and we're able to see so many trends and as soon as we start seeing something we question it we pick holes in it then we get customers in and we talk to them about that too and i think we've made a lot of decisions in our business like product-based decisions whether it be uh to create 
um, in new inseam lengths, for example, like for tall customers and short customers, but it's like, what length should they be? Mm-hmm. Do you, how, you know, where do you want to see them in the collection to the advent of a whole new size, which, you know, is something else that we're working on at the moment. So I think that, you know, we're able to have a very, very direct dialogue with our customer and we're in a really fortunate position to be able to do that and do it with the frequency that we do it as well. Mm-hmm. So Instagram is basically like the new focus group for it you guys. Indeed. And, and so do you ask questions there to your followers as well as drop from that base to get people into the office to try things you know what we we ask a lot of questions but people also just come to you when you don't ask questions (laughs) you know that's one of the amazing things because everybody has an opinion and everyone has a way to share an opinion and far from us you know kind of shrinking back we will comb through the comments we comb through the reviews whether we've asked or not um and I think that's a really great way to to run a business because we have our agendas right we know what we want to do and we can you know, push customers in a certain way towards our agenda, or you can just listen and look up for frequency and patterns in the data. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most interesting thing when you haven't asked anything and you start seeing the same thing come up time and time again, then you're like, okay, this is how we're going to satisfy a customer need because this is not something that was necessarily in our plans or on our radar. Mm-hmm. What's something that has come up just from customer behavior patterns? Well, you know, it really was about the sizing, which I think has been probably the most interesting thing. We saw, uh, you know, some I guess disparity in the returns and so we started to look at we started to look at sizing and to try to understand why between certain sizes that there was a much bigger uh, return rate and actually that led us to re-looking at sizing altogether and I think that you know sizing in general is something that's really not that understood it's very antiquated it was done a very long time ago I've spoken at length about like who does like I'm sure it would have been a guy that decided on the women's sizing scale and there is no universal standard for sizing that's why you know and women will be very used to that you'll be one size in one brand and one size in a different brand Um, and we've really tried to address sizing in a more nuanced way to really get in there and understand it from a technical you know basis on the garment so when you're actually measuring something but also just from our customers point of view like what do they want their sizing to look like how should it be how do we try to make some kind of standard and how do we do away with all of the um I guess we've you know like right from the beginning we said we're not going to label plus sizing as something different from the rest of the sizing that also caused a lot of confusion because the girls are like well is this really a plus size 18 or or not Mm -hmm. Um, and so you need to be you know you need to explain things to customers and you need to really be able to like own those decisions that you make and so we try to listen to people see what they are going to be open to and then make our decisions from there right and so the sizes run, is it double zero to 24, zero to 24? Absolutely, double zero to 24. And then with the new performance active wear, it will be an extra small to a 4X. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot more sizes than most retailers are used to carrying, right? Mm-hmm. When you when you go and you speak to a wholesale partner, they are used to taking, you know, seven, maybe eight sizes. When you go in and you say you need to take 14 or 15, that's a huge undertaking. There's lots of practical concerns there. Um, but we, you know, we've managed to talk people around it's really worked out for them you know we do great business with our wholesale partners and so it really is just about persevering and again going back to those principles of the business because that really is the core of what we do Mm -hmm. why do you think it's so rare for brands to separate the two the two groups of sizing you have typically get me started (laughs) I want to get you started because brand we've heard for so long brands talking about the the reasons that they haven't extended their size ranges and I think very slowly now we're starting to see 
okay, they're adding, if they stopped at 12, they're adding 14. And then, but where does that fit? Like you mentioned in a retail setting, how does that do, is it an online only part of the business, but that's still creating a barrier. How do you go about it? I think there are, you know, we're definitely seeing steps in the right direction. And I think it's wonderful. And I think Good American has been a huge catalyst because we've been very, very vocal about our success, right? So everybody knows, certainly in the denim community, that we, you know, we're having great success selling a wider size range. Um, I think it's brilliant that brands are out there and that they're trying to add a few sizes. But I really think it goes against the grain of everything that we're trying to do when you say, okay, we're going to add two or three additional sizes in our best selling styles because you're dictating to the consumer once again and I think far too long certainly at the larger end of the size spectrum women have been told uh, or shown rather by fashion companies what they should wear it has to have ruching it should have a cap sleeve it should be more demure it should be less revealing mm-hmm. and my experience actually in good american is that you know when we put out a, a jean with like a lace up all the way to the thigh first size is to sell out 18 through 24 so i think it's really interesting that actually if you give a customer you know choice she won't always choose what you know what you think she's going to choose mm-hmm. and i think that in this time when we're talking about female choice at the center of every big conversation that's going on right now the fashion industry has been very very slow to react to that mm-hmm. there are a lot of reasons why brands don't do um, uh, a full size spectrum and it can be a number of things right I think the biggest things are the technical complexity of actually making the garments work a good American will often have three patterns in any one garment so that makes it more technically complex finding the right uh, you know staffing resource I found very very difficult um, so there definitely are some of the more practical things that make it difficult but we're working in the fashion industry and I think that Brands have to be honest that they don't always want the customer. There is a cost concern as well that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, bigger sizes using more fabrication actually, you know, costs a lot more. But that was baked into our business right from the very, very beginning. You know, size inclusivity is part of our model. And so I think it's harder for a lot of brands to accept that they're, you know, if they're going to do bigger sizes, they're going to make less margin on them. Mm -hmm. And so there is a myriad of, uh, of reasons. But what I will say is that I don't think any of them, if a brand really wants to play in this space, they can do it. And I think you'd be very surprised to see how many uh, designers or design directors don't wear their own product because they're not producing in their own sizes, Um, which I just think is a sorry state. It's incredibly, it's a really unmodern approach Mm -hmm. and it should change. Right. And you mentioned staffing. How did you build a team then that that would fit into this brand with the mission and the product and the design and, and everything you have going on? Well, I believe that, you know, for me, it's all about culture, right? If you, you know, sometimes there are parts of the business where you need people with absolutely the right skills to be able to, you know, to carry out a job. But I also think there are other parts of our business where I'm looking for, a, a, you know, an attitude and somebody that believes what we're doing because there are so many barriers. There's every day we're told no, every day, you know, it's like, Emma, you you, you know, you can't make rigid, non-stretched jeans for a girl who's a size 20. And I'm like, yeah, you can. It's just a little bit more difficult. So we hire for attitude and we hire for culture at Good American. Um, you know, other than that, we're doing what everybody else is doing. You know, it's like I'm finding the people and I'm poaching them out of the job that they're in mm-hmm. because we want the best people in our business. And it's very, it's very difficult to find, you know, the right talent. Um, 
I would say definitely in and around like more of the technical and the design part of the business it's hard to find the right people Mm -hmm. yeah how is the way that you design different than a more traditional denim brand um well you know the the process is pretty much the same it all starts we have an incredible team of in-house designers and then real you know technical pattern cutters and pattern makers um there's a lot of differences in our actual denim so if you were to look at the the paper patterns of you know good American denim versus any other premium denim brand there are a lot of actual design differences in our product that makes it more fit for purpose Mm -hmm. um but I you know I I don't think the process is any any more different we're starting you know with an overarching concept so what we're trying to see from a vision point of view for that particular season we're then really working on like the technical aspects of the of the design and then it's really that process of you know prototypes getting into dupes and then you know I think the difference between ours and maybe other denim brands is that we're doing a lot more testing because we have a lot uh, more of a, a lot bigger size range to actually make the product and the fit work on so the introduction of a new fit is probably a lot more laborious and complex at good american because it needs to fit on a wider range of women but that testing all comes down to real people we have fit models at both ends of the size spectrum so we're really covering that um but then it's about just inviting regular non-professional you know fit Uh, women in to fit the product Mm -hmm. and then just making sure that we're really nuanced about the feedback so that's where we differ we're going to take a quick break for a message from our sponsor NetSuite when it comes to the day-to-day of the business NetSuite lets you see what's going on in real time NetSuite is the business management solution of choice for a 10-person health and beauty brand to retailers with thousands of employees with NetSuite the mission will always be enabling customers for growth no matter what stage now back to the episode so obviously as a direct-to-consumer brand, at least in some respects, you get that data straight from, from your customer, but you have some uh, wholesale retail partners. Is it Nordstrom and Bloomingdale's? Is there anyone yeah, else? Yeah, we're in Nordstrom, Bloomingdale's, Selfridges and Harrods. How do you track what their customer is thinking about the brand? Well, that's another thing that's part of, you know, the principle of how we work with wholesale partners. They have to be willing to share the data. Um, and do the they best even ones have are, the data? Do they yeah, know how to share it? <laughs> they do. Just, yeah. And if they don't, then we help them with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, it's really interesting. And, and you know, when we, when when I decided to launch this brand, it was always going to be omnichannel from the very beginning, right? Mm. We're direct to consumer in our behavior and the way that we came to market, but it's all about us being able to control the experience for the customer. And there are still customers that feel, you know, I think denim is one of those categories where there's a huge benefit to having somebody in front of you, a store assistant who's serving you and talking you through the process and helping you out. So for me, our wholesale partners do a fantastic job in in representing the brand. And we're very focused on working with partners that are particularly good at customer service, hence Mm -hmm. the reason Nordstrom were the first people that we went to. But, you know, there's space in there for, you know, our own stores. And I think about that a lot. You know, if we're a truly inclusive brand, then what does an inclusive shopping experience look like when it's controlled in my own store? And so um, I think that there are a lot of there are a lot of interesting learnings that we're as we start to think about opening our own stores, like where that's going to take us and how that might differ differ from that of our wholesale partners. Right. And why did you want to do wholesale partnerships first? I think you know most brands that start online start opening their own stores with us and pop ups or permanent stores, and then maybe we're starting to see some of them slowly come around to the idea of wholesale. Why did you choose that path in that order? This is going to sound so arrogant and ridiculous, but like you go with a customer, it's like. Mm. They're already there, right? <laughs> it's like you can have a brand new site from day one and say, hey, do you know what Good American is like and try and get them to you? Or you can just go where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, maybe in the 
very purist direct to consumer world like wholesale feels like a a dirty thing but for me it just made sense she's already there Mm. looking for premium denim why not give her a more superior product but for us it wasn't so much about convincing ourselves that was strategy from the day one let's get some wholesale partners behind us what you find absolutely is that um, there's a huge correlation about where we open in wholesale and how that affects our direct business we see an uptake wherever we open in Mm -hmm. in wholesale and that happened in London just with you know Selfridges and Harrods all of a sudden you know the percentage of our direct business that was coming out of the UK shut up immensely because people buy what they know and they they know what they see so sometimes it's just about getting it physically in their faces Mm -hmm. And you mentioned at the very beginning the the importance of repeat purchases, repeat customers. Are you finding that people who discover the brand in a Nordstrom or Selfridges are then returning to the brand online uh, down the line? How do you how do you sort of grab that customer and say, okay, now come and experience the brand? fully well you know it happens it happens um I don't I don't mind where the customer buys our product as long as she's buying it like Mm. that's really the thing um I think that what happens is a lot of the women you know they see the brand in a wholesale environment and it really just depends on the individual some people believe it or not are still not comfortable buying online Mm -hmm. you know and that definitely there's a there's an older customer we also find it like a, a much younger customer who shops for you know for the social aspect of it she's with her girlfriends on a Saturday and that's like you know something that she's doing as more of like a a social outing so I think that you know for us wholesale's only been an ad there's it doesn't take anything away and a customer will come to wherever she feels most comfortable purchasing I think our own site we've done a great job of making that uh you know, an inclusive experience. We shoot every single product on three different models. And that's something that when we launched it a little over a year and a half ago, no one was doing. And all of a sudden you've seen lots of brands do that. And it makes sense, right? A woman is twice as likely to convert when she sees the product on a size that's more closely associated with her own than if she sees it on a model where she's like, this is not how I'm going to look on the product, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think there are lots of great reasons to come to our site. But, um, you know, like I said, I'm happy for the customer to buy wherever she's most comfortable. Right. And do you think that that's where direct-to-consumer, this new brand era is headed? This, okay, we're going, we need to be where the customer is at the end of the day. The online experience has proven to not be so much of a, if you just build a site and it's a, you know, great web experience, a great product, they will come. It's very expensive to get customers online. Are you seeing that this the the main like tenants of a direct to consumer brand strategy are starting to fall away? Um, I don't know if they're trying, they're starting to fall away, but I think people are appreciating that it, there's something in the mix. You know, it's like everything that we do. There's not one way of us acquiring customers, right? It's all in the mix. The media landscape is very saturated. We spend, you know, money on buying customers through social and, you know, but for me, it's like, it's all about the mix of everything and you mm-hmm. have to constantly test and you have to constantly assess. And it's much like that, you know, I think you're seeing a lot of these direct can direct-to-consumer companies also opening their own brick, bricks and mortar stores mm-hmm. um, and so I just think again you've just got to be wherever the customer is and there's a lot of value to doing those you know pop-ups and retail testing and working with a customer we find that the Nordstrom customer for example is completely different to our dot-com customer so there's huge value in that and again the way the way they do business is very different from the way we do business so we have great learnings and that's why for us it benefits to work with wholesale partners so long as you can share the information 
information because mm-hmm. that's coming back and influencing your own business. Right. And what do you see as a healthy mix between wholesale, online, offline, paid, unpaid, all of that? <laughs> well, there's no such thing, right? It depends. Uh-huh. It depends what you're looking for. I mean, what, look, would, raise, what would raise your alarm? <laughs> let, let me tell you. I mean, nothing would really raise our alarm. Our, our business, you know, from the very beginning, we built the business to be omnichannel. We built the business in the same way that we baked in that inclusivity. We knew what the, you know, what the mix was and we've allowed ourselves to be able to swing a few percentages either way. Mm-hmm. Of course, if we're just looking at the bottom line, it's much better to sell products for your own direct channels because you're making more of a margin. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I think for me, it's all in the mix. And at the end of the day, it's just about the customer. You've just got to do what's best for her. In my, you know, in my dream scenario, I'd just be in my own stores where I would work on a Saturday because right. I love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and do you think that even just the idea of direct to consumer is eventually going to follow like not be that relevant anymore because when you think about it it you know every brand has always been selling to a customer one way or another yeah I mean it's a funny set of words isn't it direct to consumer Mm -hmm. I mean yes absolutely I think that everybody is realizing I mean there's still certain I think certainly when you're in one of those businesses where your product is a almost I don't know the the real term for it, you know, when you've got like a, a one-off groundbreaking product that's only available with you, of course, there's certain benefit to keeping that in one place. But in our business, where it's apparel, where it benefits from being, uh, you know, put beside other brands, because that's what most women are doing, right? You go into the store and you'll pick up a number of different brands and you'll try on a bunch of others and you'll put those good Americans on and you're going to feel great in them. And that's why you buy them. So actually there are a lot of benefits to being able to buy like that for our customers. Mm-hmm. I don't think direct to consumer is going to go away. People are having way too much success at it. Um, but it's not, it's not this, uh, mythical thing that sets any product on fire you know you've at the end of the day it all goes back to the same thing like do you have the product and if you've got a wonderful product she's going to come anywhere to buy it right and I think that starting out so early with a with a wholesale strategy uh you know I think when brands are online only they kind of build this very you know sacred piece of of e-commerce that they are you know there's no comparison to other products like getting it into a store that you know you're right there next to competitors and people can touch and feel and compare you can almost see why a brand would be especially when they're new especially when they've been so driven on a specific business strategy and maybe a little bit less focused on the product itself getting that did you have you benefited at all from being able for customers seeing it okay you have good american next to page next to etc 100 percent, because a customer can feel superior superiority right mm-hmm. I think what um what has happened in that direct to consumer space is that you can tell an incredible story and you know if again it comes back down to the product if you have a superior product having it next to other products is going to be a huge benefit the problem is when you're all storytelling and you're all marketing and your product doesn't live up to it you put that in a wholesale environment and you're dead mm-hmm. so you know it really comes back down to like is your product superior enough that given the competitive landscape you're actually going to be able to shine in that environment and I think we were very, very clear from the beginning that we had something that was really special. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that that direct-to-consumer experience is so wonderful for, for customers because you can explain so much. And that's the brilliant thing. You know, we can quite literally tell a story in direct that is impossible to do. You know, what would you do? Train thousands and thousands of customer service um, you know, shop floor associates that right. it's just not, it's not a possibility. So what you can do in that space is very, very special. But again, I just, I'm all about the mix of it. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Uh, so you recently launched athletic wear. Um, how would, 
how does a product we're talking about healthy mix and, yeah. and a good mix what what's the product category goals for, like for good american like do you see it becoming a full-fledged apparel brand or is it going to be a, a denim core brand with a few offshoots how do you stay focused um as well as scale product i mean the more product you sell the more money there is to be made so i see that there's obviously going to be temptation there to to go broad but how do you keep focused while going into new categories so i think you know the brand as a whole when we launched it i never saw it as denim denim was what i could do um when we launched i had had my second child three months previously so when we were actually building the business i was fully pregnant and if I'm really honest, I needed to do something I understood and was digestible. Mm -hmm. And right from the very beginning, Chloe being a complete fitness fanatic, you know, something that we wanted to do was active wear, like real performance active wear. But it's difficult. It's technical. It's expensive. It's really, really complicated. And so for us, denim was you know what, we understand this, we know how to do it, it's in LA. Mm -hmm. So it all felt very, um, it all felt very tangible and very digestible. And we were like, we can get our heads around this. But our ethos, like, really was way beyond just the denim category. And I think the way, certainly the way I think about it is that, you know, Good American is all about a fit and a fabrication. And where we can bring our knowledge on fit and fabrication to a category, that makes total sense for us. So I definitely don't see, you know, I mean, never say never, but, you know, I don't see us making shoes and sunglasses anytime, particularly soon. Mm. But um, I think where we can lend our expertise, and I have built this most incredible team of fit experts, and we have a system, we have a way of doing things, and it's really working for women right now. So I think where we can bring those expertise into another category, and where it makes sense for us, we're seeing this huge casualization of fashion, where women are you know, I know I live in LA now, but like living in their yoga pants, as mm -hmm. they say. Um, and I think that certainly for me, being in the active wear space is something that's really true to our brand. It's another one of those areas where when we started doing research, you know, nobody talks about the technical elements. Certainly women don't. They don't ever say, oh, I'm so happy this dries really quickly. I'm so happy for the four-way stretch and the moisture wicking. You know, when we ask questions about what do you want to see in your performance active wear, they said, I want to look at myself in a mirror and see me looking cute. Mm. <laughs> and so we thought that, you know, in this incredibly male-dominated space where the big box brands really, really rule, that there was room for a more female interpretation of what fitness and active wear can look like and still give you all of those technical things because even though customers don't talk about them they've come to expect them you know if your active clothes stayed sopping wet after you'd sweated in them you'd soon like realize that mm -hmm. um so we wanted to bring all of that technical expertise but also everything that we know about fit and about looking good and feeling good because if you're in a business of making women feel confident and we believe that you know that's that's a mission for us because we believe it's so many so important in so many aspects of women's lives like having confidence feeling confident feeling good about yourselves leads to so many other positive outcomes in your life that if that's what we're doing we're going to apply the same um that's just what we're going to do in every single category and so if we're able to do that in the category and bring the our approach and the way that we approach denim then we'll do it mm -hmm. and so i think we're almost out of time but as you're looking at where the industry is headed and you know, I know we've chatted about other brands kind of stepping into this. Do you, what do you think the ripple effect is going to be not only in terms of how retail stores are arranged, but how customers themselves shop. If you are, if you consider yourself plus size, what do you do when you're shopping for a brand that carries your size, but doesn't 
consider its own self plus size? Where do you where do you see all of that terminology and that um, self identification heading uh, that that you want your brand to be leading? Absolutely. I mean, look, I think that in general, women have been forced to spend way too much time focused on the size of their backsides over the things that really really matter and one of the things that I think about constantly in Good American especially now I have a daughter of my own is if we can spend a little bit less time having to think about that stuff and a little bit more time and the things that really really matter uh, then we'll all be better off for it so for me I would like to actually just see the conversation just stop Mm. And, you know, everybody should be doing, if we're talking about the average woman in this country being a size 18, then shouldn't all brands be catering for the average woman? Like we're not talking about something that's odd, something that's, you know, specialist, something that's like really like hard to find and hard to reach. We're talking about the norm. And that's mm. like really from a commercial viewpoint, if that's how you want to look at it, it's just what should be done. So mm. I would hope that more brands actually follow suit and that the fashion industry as a whole starts to embrace a much more inclusive and less complex way of looking at sizing because like I said in the beginning of this it's it's antiquated it's old-fashioned and it's just not really very cool Mm -hmm. so you know I think that we've all got to just got to you know forget you know for me I don't even think about like the size that it says on a garment I'm really very focused on like how does it feel how does it fit and if that makes me feel good then fantastic right Great. Well, I think that's a great place to end. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Special thanks to Aditi Songol and Gianna Cappadona, the producers of this podcast. If you've been enjoying the Glossy podcast and aren't a Glossy Plus subscriber yet, it's time to consider joining to get access to all of Glossy's content, member events, ticket discounts, Slack chats, and more. As a reward for listening, use the code podcast at glossy.co slash plus to get 20% off an annual subscription. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.